0: Welcome to Sunday Morning at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and in response to the events of the amazing resurrection at Easter, it now becomes our job to discern how we respond to the events of Holy Week and Christ being raised from the dead. We are to discern how we are being led to live, to change our lives, to care for others, to welcome others to Christ's table. This is our call and our challenge. Let's do this together. Come on in.
1: Our first lesson this morning is taken from Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 9. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses and we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Our second lesson is taken from Paul's letter to the church in Rome. We are reading the first chapter. Right after the introduction, the salutation, Paul jumps in, chapter 1, verses 8 through 17, listen for the word of the Lord. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed throughout the world. For God, whom I serve with my spirit by announcing the gospel of his Son, is my witness that without ceasing I remember you always in my prayers, asking that by God's will I may somehow at last succeed in coming to you. For I am longing to see you, so that I may share with you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, or rather, so that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith." both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as I have among the rest of the Gentiles. I am a debtor of both Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, hence my eagerness to proclaim the gospel to you also who are in Rome." For I am not ashamed of the gospel, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith, as it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. This is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. So yes, it is Reformation Sunday. And why are we all Scottished up today? Why do we have an excellent bagpiper? Why are we in plaid and tartan today? Well, this is what we call Reformation Sunday. And the big picture, as Vicky mentioned, was that October 31st, 1517, so we usually celebrate the Sunday closest to October 31st, Halloween, which is today. We celebrate the German Augustinian monk, Martin Luther, who nailed 95 theses or protests or ideas against the Roman Catholic Church, and... As a word, we love our Roman Catholic friends. We are a part of the same large body of Christ. We are on the same team. But this was a formidable split and some disagreements had. But it does not mean that we continue to harbor those differences. But Luther nailed them up and in doing so kicked off what we refer to as the Protestant Reformation. So, Last week, we talked about our stewardship theme, The Urgency of Hope, and that was based on the concentration camp survivor from World War II, Jewish survivor Elie Wiesel. Many of you have read his book called Night. If you haven't, I encourage you to do so. It's small and it is horrible because it testifies and witnesses to his experience that he and his family endured in Auschwitz and Buchenwald. One of the speeches that he gave later in his life was called Against Indifference, The Urgency of Hope. And so last week we talked about how in our world we see so much violence and hatred and death in our local community, in our nation, and in the world. There is an urgency of hope that is rooted in Jesus Christ. And we are being called as a congregation at First Presbyterian Church, not to diminish our witness, but to increase so that others may know the grace, love, peace, and justice of Jesus Christ. So this week, as a congregation, we are looking and giving thanks from where we have come, We know if we don't know our past, it's hard to know who we are in the present and moving into the future. So today we do give thanks from where we have come, how we have gotten to this point. And I want to quickly highlight a few pieces of how we got from Bible to first Pres in Columbus, Georgia today. I've done bits and pieces of this before, but I think it's important for us to remember that we are not here by accident and God is not done with us yet. So if we remember back to the Bible in Matthew 16, roughly around 16, 16, Jesus asked the disciples, who do they say that I am? And to move through that, Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, yes, Peter, whose name was Simon at the time, changed his name then to Peter, which means the rock, and says, on you, Peter, I will build my church. And so Christ brings in the idea of the church that started there with Peter. Then we move to Pentecost in Acts 2, that we celebrate after Jesus was on the cross and was raised and then came back and appeared to those disciples and many others, ascended, went back to God and the Spirit descended at Pentecost. We talk about that in the end of May, usually in that season. And it was at that point that the disciples' understanding of what had just happened in the event of Jesus Christ was made clear No more did they sputter and not get it. They were convicted, and they moved forward out into the world. And it was seen, Pentecost is often seen as the beginning of the church. Jesus said, through Peter, we will start, and then sent them out to start it after Pentecost. The Holy Spirit sent them out. And roughly the next 300 years, the sputtering church Started in people's homes. Throughout those first 300 years, they were persecuted by different Roman emperors, Diocletian, Nero. Sometimes it got as bad as we have heard, where Christians were fed to the lions in the Colosseum. They could not be Christians out in the open. It's a part of my understanding for validating that time period. Number one, how did the disciples make all this up if this is not correct? This was a lie. This Jesus business never happened. You know what? Let's get together and let's make this up because there's no money in it. There's no power in it. We put our lives and our family's lives at risk. They will continue to come after us. There's nothing to gain for them. Why did the disciples fight that? Because they saw, witnessed, and were present with Christ in the time that Christ was with us in this earthly life. They saw enough to put all that on the line and risk it to then go out into the world and tell others, and then, why for the first hundred, couple, three hundred years, would Christians dare to fight that, similar to those original twelve? Once the persecutions started, why would people continue to worship this fallacy that was just made up by a couple of people? Well, because that's not the case. The case is, they were there. They did see Christ. Christ made a difference to them. They knew that, but it bears testimony that the first 300 years when they were persecuted, they continued to be faithful. They're not going to do that on something that did not exist because it continued to put themselves at risk. Around 300, Constantine the emperor had a battlefield vision, was fighting for control, As emperor, 312, the night before the battle of Milvian Bridge, he had a vision that was, some say, was his conversion moment, where he looked up and saw light in the shape of a cross and saw or heard text that said, by this sign, conquer. And so he put the sign of Christ on their shields, some say it was the cross, some the chi row that you see in some churches looks like a, a P and an R that formed the first three letters of Christ, C-H and then R as first three letters of Christ, and he was victorious. And in 313, the very next year, he stopped the persecution of Christians. He allowed them to worship and supported them in the building of new churches structures, and churches, and basilicas, and so on. Until in 380, Theodosius, who was emperor then, made Christianity the the official religion of the empire. And from that point forward, wherever Rome was, so too was Christianity. That's when the faith took full root. And to move us quickly through history, history, Events came and changed. There was a great schism in what was the one Roman Catholic church uh, between East and West. There were the crusades around 1095 for the next 200 years, roughly eight or nine crusades fighting over the Holy Land that eventually uh, the Muslims won, uh, prevailed in that time through the Middle Ages up to 1517, when Martin Luther, who was a professor at the University of Wittenberg, went to the church and nailed, as tradition says, these 95 ideas and thoughts that were critical of the Roman Catholic Church. He was a professor. He was not seeking to jumpstart a movement He was nailing them up to say, let's have a forum. Let's have some debate about this because I have issues. And there were many. Chief among them were indulgences, which means you could pay the church to lessen the severity of your sins. It didn't buy you salvation, but it helped get you in the right direction. So I always say, the best fundraiser the church ever conceived of. And it's, that money was partially what built St. Peter's Basilica that still stands. Beautiful. That was the chief grievance, but there were many more. The hierarchy of the church had become too powerful and was exploiting the people. There was no access to Scripture, as Vicky said. And you had to go through others to get to Christ. Grace as Luther and Calvin and Paul says in both of our scriptures today, is a gift and not earned. You cannot, by good works, earn your way into heaven. You cannot, by good works, be saved, although a life filled with grace exhibits good works. So they work hand in hand, but grace is a gift that none of us have earned that God Gave to each of us. So these were some of the main differences. And Luther started, and because of the printing press, Gutenberg around 1440 invented the printing press, the Gutenberg Bible about 15 years later. But in that time period, where others had failed before them who were critical of the Roman Catholic Church, they were able to print pamphlets and flyers with these 95 theses and sermons and other theological writings from Luther that were then able to be disseminated and held and read, and that changed things. So from that point on, John Calvin, one of the founders of our church, who was kind of a second-generation reformer, as the Reformation kicked off in 1517, Calvin was born in 1509, So later on, Calvin comes to the scene and he's French from France and was kicked out of there, started to agree with those doctrines against the Roman Catholic Church, excommunicated, goes to Geneva, Switzerland, which would eventually become a hub and a safe place for other reformers that were disagreeing with the Roman Catholic Church. They weren't ready for his ideas, and they exiled him out of Geneva, went to a church in Strasbourg, ministering to others who had been um, dissidents from France. It was a French congregation later, would become the Huguenots. And then Geneva invites him back, and in Geneva in that second time is when he starts to develop these new ideas of theology and liturgy and polity that would eventually become our Presbyterian, some of our Presbyterian theology and some of our systems of operating that are different than the Roman Catholic Church. Swings all the other way. No hierarchy. It is in the hands of the people. You don't have to go through a priest or someone else. You go directly to Christ. We pray directly to Christ. Scripture should be in your hands and accessible, as Vicky said. You don't just have to take the word of the priest or the educated leader who were the only ones who could read Scripture at that time who were educated. So all of that information flow was a narrow path. But now all of that was blown open. Calvin starts to make systems rooted in all of that. And then John Knox, who is from Scotland, is exiled for a time, and his life is fascinating also, but winds up in Geneva with Calvin. They overlap, they spend time together. John Knox sees what Calvin is doing, he takes some of that back to Scotland, and through a series of events, begins the Church of Scotland, what will become the Presbyterian Church. That's why we are all Scottish today. And that's why we trace our history as the Presbyterian Church to Scotland, because that's where we as an institution, again, through Luther and Calvin and especially Knox, started the church in Scotland. And then Scottish immigrants went some to Ireland in the Ulster region and then immigrated to the United States where our Presbyterian church that we know started on the East Coast, Philadelphia, Princeton Seminary at first in New Jersey, and then grew from there. And to quickly get us to the next point, the church came together and split for several hundred years over theology and politics. Go figure. Sometimes it was slavery. Sometimes it was the role of women. There were other issues that brought us together and separate us. And we'll just fast forward to 1983, where in this church, the vote was cast for the newest iteration of the Presbyterian Church USA, PCUSA, merging the Northern and Southern churches. Again, that vote was taken here at a Presbytery meeting And we continue to seek to be faithful today. The point of all of that is to say that God has been with the development of the church from the very beginning. In the 1830s, when Columbus had given plots of land to root this new city in faith, First Presbyterian was one of the church's given land, and it bounced around a little bit after that, but settled here. All of those people who went before us were both saints and sinners, as we are every day. They did their best. They made good decisions. They made poor decisions. They gave of their time and their talents and their resources. They continued to spread the word of God in the community. They were not afraid or ashamed of the gospel, which is what Paul says in Romans today. I am not ashamed As he says to the church in Rome, Rome has all of the cards. Paul has none except God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. He's standing up as a lone voice to say, I am not ashamed of what I know, what I have experienced, in the amazing gift of grace and love in Jesus Christ. Do not be ashamed or afraid. Today, we are being called to take stock. It is no longer okay to sit back and let others do what we know we need to do. We have access to Scripture that the Reformers bought with their lives. Do we use it, or have we become so spoiled that although there are Bibles in every home, they creak when you open the binding? You have to blow the dust off. (sighs) And what a crime that is. And come, and we'll do that together here. But access to Scripture has been granted hundreds of years ago in the Reformation. And we cannot say that we value education or follow Christ if we refuse to ever read Scripture on our own or with others. It does not work. So Paul is saying, come, it is my faith and your faith that works together so we can spread this amazing news So in week two of our understanding of the urgency of hope, the urgency is that we use what we have been given. Scripture, grace, gifts, inheritors of this tradition that lands with us today from the 1830s back to the first conversation Jesus had with Peter. We pick it up now. We are the disciples. We are being sent so with joy and challenge and seriousness and power, let us go and proclaim that he has been raised. Hallelujah. Amen.